et bienvenue. Hello and welcome. I'm Marion Jones. This is City Breaks Bordeaux, episode 6, with a very simple one-word title, wine. Bordeaux is well known for lots of things, but not for anything more, I don't think, than for its wine. Here's Henry James on the subject in the 19th century. Bordeaux is dedicated to the worship of Bacchus in the most discreet form. Actually, I'm not so sure about the discreet these days. I think they shout about it worldwide, and why not? There are lots of books and leaflets on the topic, and in one of them I found this wonderful quote from 424 BC, 1 Aristophanes. When men drink, then they are rich and successful, and win lawsuits, and are happy and help their friends. Quickly, bring me a beaker of wine, so that I may wet my mind and say something clever. Can't promise you anything clever, but I will try and give you lots of interesting snippets about wine in the Bordeaux area. A little history to set the scene, lots about where you can find out more, wine tours, museums, tastings, courses, festivals, all that sort of thing, and some quirky reads to finish. I've managed to unearth, I think it's five different books, which all have a very interesting take on this topic. Alors, on y va. Right, let's go. So, we are talking about the largest wine-growing region in France, somewhere where there are, I've seen different numbers, but let's go with 6,000 or so vineyards, and which produces between five and 600 million bottles every year. Most of that is red, about 90% in fact, and much of it, over half at least, is produced in family-owned businesses all around the area. And more than half of what's produced, 56%, stays in the home market in France. You could say really that from whichever angle you look at things, this area is absolutely steeped in wine, and has been for over 2,000 years. It was the Romans, as I think I mentioned in a previous episode, who brought the grape to the area, and quickly discovered that it flourished there. And also that, because of the river particularly, transporting it elsewhere, selling it, was going to be easy too. So things took off. The Gauls did their bit, they invented the oak barrel, and then in the period known as the Dark Ages, not so much going on really, although I was amused to read in one history that, quote, a small part of the clergy maintained their knowledge of wine and passed it on. So, thank you to the clergy too. The first really big boom happened in the 12th century, thanks to the English king, Henry II, who married Eleanor of Aquitaine, thus establishing strong links between England and the Bordeaux area. He had the very bright idea of removing taxes on the sales of wine, which led to a massive increase in trade. The bonds were somewhat strained by the Hundred Years' War between England and France, but even though less wine was going to England, it didn't really matter because it was becoming very, very popular in France, at the French court even. Louis XVI, for example, was said to enjoy Saint-Emilion wine with his meals. And alongside that, in 18th century France, various factors came together and meant a growth in the wine trade. New techniques, merchants more easily able to send their wine off to far distant places, growing very rich on the proceeds and building themselves lots of chateaux, many of which are still there today. And also the era when the reputation of French wine, particularly from this area, spread to America. Thanks largely to one man, Thomas Jefferson, who loved France, travelled all about there, spent time in Bordeaux, and talked about the wine that he discovered when he got home. He's known to have said, quote, By making this wine known to the public, 
I have rendered my country as great a service as if I had enabled it to pay back the national debt. There was a major crisis in the 19th century when a plague known as phylloxera spread through the vineyards, destroying everything, solved only in the end by importing new plants from America which were resistant to the disease and starting again. As for the 20th century, it was in 1935 that the first Appellation d'Origine Contrôlée was set up, AOC, the letters you'll see on lots of bottles, the body that set the standards and controlled everything from how grapes should be grown, how wines should be labelled, how they should be classified. But Bordeaux's dark years during World War II followed soon after, and the wine trade was very badly affected. Many of the chateaux were requisitioned by German soldiers. Most men of working age, many of whom would have worked in the wine trade, had been sent off to war. Equipment was difficult to get hold of, glass, corks, etc. The wine growers who were left were forced to distill part of their wine, often up to half the harvest, and turn it into fuel for the Germans. I came across the story of Baron Philippe de Rothschild, one of the big wine-growing families from the area, of course, who, being Jewish, was imprisoned by the Vichy government in 1940, and who, when he managed to get out, crossed the Pyrenees Mountains to join the Free French Forces in England. So much then for a potted history. What about Bordeaux wine today? There are five main wine-growing areas around the city, all of which have names that you might recognise from bottles. Médoc for one, Saint-Emilion for another. They're the big two, I think. The others are Grave et Sauterne, Blé et Bourg and Entre-deux-Mers. Of all the different grape varieties grown in the area, absolutely the most well-known is Merlot, or Merlot as it's called in English, which gives a red wine, of course, as does Cabernet Sauvignon and Malbec. And when I was looking around, I think it was the Van de Bordeaux website, I came across something I didn't know, the definition of claret. What actually is it? Here's what they had to say. Claret is a unique wine with a long history, the result of a special wine-making process. The predominant grape is a nicely ripened Merlot that is not macerated for a long period of time, allowing the wine to retain its light pinky red colour and its lively palate. A regional favourite, it stands out even among the jewels of the Bordeaux vineyards. So much then for the basics and a little history. What about how to find out more? Imagine yourself on a trip to Bordeaux and you're thinking, how do I start? Where can I go to educate myself to find out more. I managed to gather quite a few different ideas. The one I want to mention first is a guided walk. Actually, more accurately, a self-guided walk, because all you need to do is go to the tourist office and buy a map, three euros I think it costs, which details a two-hour route that you can take yourself on past 24 points of interest. It will point out buildings you should take note of, like the Conseil du Vin de Bordeaux, and the Cité du Vin, that's the city's huge and fairly new wine museum, we'll be coming back to that in a minute. It'll point out little details you might otherwise miss, sculptures on buildings, that sort of thing. It suggests places where you might like to stop off, a wine merchant here, a wine bar there, and there are audio clips where you can listen to the stories of men and women who've worked in the wine trade, some dating back to the 19th century, so, a whole mixture of wine-related things. The description I saw in the advert promised you a combination of fun, history and epicureanism in equal measure. Sounds about right. 
I found a second idea for a walk too on a website called Explore France. I'll put the links, by the way, to all these things in the show notes and on the blog post. So this one is a bit more niche, maybe one to do as well as the first one, rather than instead of it. It's a description of a walk devised by one Philippe Prévost, who wrote a book called Bordeaux Secret et Insolite, so secret and unusual Bordeaux. It's two kilometres in length, and the description of it begins like this. This discovery tour of the hidden spots of the world's wine capital begins on the banks of the Garonne. At the corner of Rue Ausonne and Cours d'Alsace et Lorraine stands the jovial bust of Decimus Magnus Ausonius, better known simply as Ausonius. This poet and winemaker from Saint-Emilion is said to have produced one of the most prestigious of all vintages which still bears his name today. Points of interest on the walk include the place where, in the 18th century, aniseed liqueur was first produced in Bordeaux, the place where the city's first wine labels were produced, and that led to the whole classification system, to Place Victoire, where there is a climbing vine said to have been there since the first century, and a marble column monument to wine culture, with, I'm not quite sure why, two bronze tortoises on the pavement next to it, which are also somehow a reference to the wine culture. Anyway, a couple of walks. What about wine tasting? Several places where you can do that, all of which I'm going to talk about more in a minute, but just to list them, there's the Maison du Vin de Bordeaux, very close to the tourist office, and also nearby, a shop called L'Intendant, which does wine tastings, I believe, on Saturday mornings, and also at the museum, the Cité du Vin, wine tastings there too. Or you could do a course at the École du Vin, learn about the characteristics of the different Bordeaux wines, do some tasting, and lots of options available, day courses, evening classes, summer courses, workshops. Again, I'll make sure the details for that are clear. OK then, so what about shopping for wine in Bordeaux? Well, obviously you could do that in lots of different places, but there is one standout place I would say you have to visit because truly it is a Bordeaux institution and an amazing place. It's called L'Intendant, very central near the tourist office and the theatre and whatnot. And when you go inside, your first thought will be that it looks tiny. Well, yes, it is small, but look up. You will see a central spiral staircase winding up, I think it's four more floors, with wine bottles crammed along every inch of every wall, all the way to the top. I believe there are several million bottles just in the shop, and they have 20,000 square metres of cellar too. If you start on the ground floor, you will find what they describe as un vaste choix, so a vast choice of délicieux vins très abordables, delicious wines which are very affordable. Some cost less than 20 euros a bottle. But as you climb up what they call the Bordeaux Pyramid, you pass ever more expensive and fancier versions. By the time you get to the top floor, which is described as un véritable sanctuaire, a real sanctuary, you've got the oldest vintages, huge bottles, double magnums, jeroboams, all that sort of thing. I don't think any description would do it justice, but hopefully the photos I took perhaps will, and they'll be on the website. And also, just in case you're fearing that this might not be a place for you, you don't know enough about wine to go in or whatever, let me just tell you about my visit there. I knew it wouldn't take them long to realise that I know practically nothing about wine, 
but I have a brother who does like red wine and I wanted to buy him a present. So I decided to say, look, I know someone whose favourite wine is Chateau Neuf du Pape. What else can I buy that perhaps he won't have tasted, but which might be in a similar vein? My husband said, you can't possibly tell them that. Chateau Neuf du Pape was from a different area, but I went ahead and did it anyway. And I have to say they were very accommodating. Six or eight different bottles were brought off the shelves. They told me a little bit about each one, helped me choose, and I went away very happy, clinking a couple of bottles, which I thought were going to make a very nice present. I have to say that while I was there, other customers were coming and going, including two different American customers who'd come in to order cases of wine to have them shipped back home. So, you know, they cater for all tastes and purses. And then what about museums? Well, I mentioned one in, I think it was episode three, the Musée du Vin et du Négoce, which is a little city centre museum that focuses really on the trading side. But the place to go if you want to know all about wine in vast amounts of detail is definitely the Cité du Vin. It's the standout building up the river from the Chartrand area, just up by the Chabon d'Elmar Bridge, built to look like a wine decanter sitting along the river. And it's massive, comprehensive. A focus on Bordeaux wine, certainly, but very much worldwide in its attitude too, and covering every topic you can imagine, from the history to wines around the world, the production, spin-off topics like wine in cinema and in religious imagery and all sorts. Every kind of way of telling you the information. Displays, pictures, films, little videos of interviews with wine growers, lots of detail about the various wine routes, an area called the Buffet of the Five Senses, where you do all this sniffing and answering questions, and eventually winding you up onto the top floor, where the price of your ticket includes a glass of wine. Of course, there are masses to choose from, and yes, they will help you decide if you don't really know what it is you want. And then you can take it out to the area around the top of the building, where there are panoramic views down to the river and off to the city centre. So a lovely way to end. I would suggest if you want to take it seriously, you need to allow half a day really at least to spend in that museum. They do other things too. They do wine tasting workshops, for example, which to quote a phrase I very much enjoyed from the publicity, will promise you une immersion visuelle et gustative, an immersion for your eyes and your taste buds. And there are all sorts of other things in auditorium, so I guess there must be lectures, a reading room, a shop, a couple of restaurants. And just to summarise, here's how they describe themselves. A unique cultural centre dedicated to the universal living heritage of wine, offering a spectacular journey around the world, through the ages, across countless cultures and civilizations. Oh, and by the way, if you do buy a Bordeaux City Pass, then entry here is included, providing that you turn up before 12 o'clock midday. So all of that then, a resume really of how to find out more about wine in Bordeaux itself. But that's not where it stops, because obviously you may well be very interested in the whole area. The vineyards, the chateau, the wine routes. And this, I found, is quite baffling. So I've done a bit of digging and hopefully I can give you a good summary of how to find out what you want to know. So once again, the tourist office is quite a good place to start. You can book tours there. They will give you a whole booklet called Bordeaux Wine Tours, if you're interested. Or, of course, you can do that virtually on their website, 
where they have a number of posts that are relevant. So what's on offer? Let me start with a couple of ideas for people who haven't got their own car, because that can make things sound a bit daunting. Well, firstly, what about the idea of a bike tour? There are three possibilities outlined on the tourism website, a 9km, a 23 and a 30km one. So map provided, ideas for getting out of the city a little bit and going past and stopping off at some vineyards. Or there's public transport, a couple of ideas for Chateau that you can visit from Bordeaux city centre just by taking a tram. One is called the Chateau Les Calmes au Priant, which you can reach by taking a tram A to a stop named after François Mitterrand, former president of course, a walk of about 10 minutes and there you are, vineyards, cellars, tasting. Or secondly, there's the Chateau Dillon, D-I-L-L-O-N. A 38 tram will take you there. It's officially a monument historique, so a building of historical significance. It's at the Bordeaux end of one of the famous wine routes, the Médoc route. And as well as being a chateau where wine is produced, it's also the site of a wine school. And even if you have got your own car with you, then finding the chateau you want to visit can be quite baffling because there's so much choice. And I'd suggest that in that case, a good place to start is the Bordeaux tourism website, which has a post. Again, I'll put the link in the notes and on the blog post. A list of some of the best chateaux to visit. They've all got their own title. I think there are over a dozen listed. So they've got the oldest, the most contemporary, the most beautiful, the most mysterious, and so on. So a few details on each one, designed to help you choose which one or ones you want to visit. And then if you've got children in tow, that can be a problem. But again, I found some suggestions for that. And the post I read started like this. Are your children not fascinated by old stones and winemaking? And they go on to explain that there are various chateaux listed which go out of the way to make sure there's something fun for children to do on their visit, as well as just for mum and dad. You can design your own wine labels, for example, at the Chateau Cormet Fichac. And at the Chateau de Crane, you can go on a treasure hunt or amuse yourself in one of two different escape game rooms. So much then for finding out all about this very enjoyable topic. One thing I haven't mentioned yet is where to actually drink the stuff. I'm imagining anyone who gets to Bordeaux is quite capable of finding the little squares and streets, for example, around the Saint-Pierre area of the city, and just hunting out some wine bars. But if you'd like some suggestions, I have one or two. First of all, I would suggest the place to try, the Maison du Vin de Bordeaux, in the centre just near the tourist office, where you can drop in any Monday to Saturday from 11 o'clock onwards. I think it's open in the evenings too until 10 o'clock. It's a wine bar. Not any old wine bar. Think beautiful herringbone flooring, a large stained glass window depicting Bacchus, a clutch of sommelier who will be very happy to advise you on what wine to choose with, say, a cheese platter or a charcuterie selection. And then I found a very interesting post on a website called visitfrenchwine.com, which will offer you a map to download and a route around, wait for it, 20 wine bars in the city centre which they recommend. I don't think at any point they're suggesting you go to all 20, but the choice is there, so it gives you lots of details to pick from. Naturally, if you're just browsing, on that post you can click on any of the 20 wine bars listed and find pictures of them, the address, the menu. In short, all the details you need to help you make an informed choice. There's a whole range of wine bars listed. 
little cosy ones, sophisticated ones, ones with large terraces. Here's a sentence or two from their description. Why not meet at the Metropolitan, for instance, where you can enjoy a blind tasting? Or at the Point Rouge, which has a selection of over a thousand wines accompanied by tapas. So I think that's definitely a post that will give you lots of info. And then on a much smaller scale, a last post I found from francetraveltips.com, which is on two wine bars that the person who wrote it has visited, both completely different. One was, quote, hip, modern and elegant, and the other one was down-to-earth, cosy and a bit rustic. Consult the post to get the titles of the two bars they recommend, along with lots of pictures and a description of what's on offer. Here's a little quote just to give the flavour. This bar is very unpretentious, maybe even rustic, with wine barrels and wooden stools throughout the small bar. It feels like a place where locals would hang out. And on the topic of drinking wine in Bordeaux, I really ought to also mention that there is, of course, a major wine festival there. It's held at the end of June. I think the dates for the 2024 one are June the 27th to the 30th. They have their own website too. And that makes it clear just what an absolute range of goodies there is on offer. Tastings, workshops, masterclasses, chefs visit sometimes. There are exhibitions, of course, something through the streets called the Parade of the Bordeaux Wine Brotherhoods what they describe as a gastronomic village, so lots and lots of different foodie options. Loads of concerts, I think I saw about a dozen listed just for the four days, and better still, some of them are labelled as tasting concerts, whatever that means. There are DJ sets, a dance band, films, a drone show, a family zone. Really, really, it's Bordeaux en fête, Bordeaux having a party. And as you would expect, lots of local institutions play their part, So the wine shops, the restaurants, various chateaux, and they top off the celebration by having tall ships visit the quays just for that period of time too. It all does make you think that timing your next Bordeaux visit for the end of June can't be a bad idea, although perhaps do it with plenty of time to spare, because I guess it fills up then particularly. There's also a second wine festival two days in October, Chartron Wine Fest. So Chartron's an area of the city, between the centre and the Cité du Vin, roughly speaking. And the festival held there in October is called the Fête du Vin Nouveau et de la Brocante. So the Vin Nouveau part involves having the new wine blessed in the church and then a street festival afterwards. Think wine, dancing, street food. And the Brocante part refers to antiques because this is an area of the city which has specialised in antiques. So there'll be stalls selling them. And it's also a good time to take advantage of all the other goodies that Chartrand has to offer. They would include a covered market, lots of nice little foodie places, plenty of street art. It's one of those former port areas, gone a bit hip sort of places. And then finally, I wanted to end by mentioning five different books which I'd recommend, all linked to wine and Bordeaux, most of them a little bit quirky and which between them give all sorts of ways of finding out more about the fascinating subject of wine in Bordeaux and the surrounding areas. The first one is a history of the wine trade in the area, really, but very much from a personal standpoint. It's called From Bordeaux to the Stars. It's written by a chateau owner who produces Grand Cru Classé, no less. And it's all about the history of the wine trade in the city, particularly over the last 50 years, including the crisis which hit them in the 70s and how they recovered, 
and it's billed as a family history and a personal journey. If snippets from an anthology are your thing, then I know just the thing, a book called Bordeaux, Tales from the Greatest Wine Region by Jane Anson. So it's full of articles and extracts by wine writers past and present, featuring lots of big names from the wine trade, but also some rather more surprising people, Samuel Pepys, for example. A very unusual book I came across is called Billionaire's Vinegar, wonderful title, by Benjamin Wallace. It's a factual account, the story of an intrigue, a scandal, if you will, that hit the Bordeaux wine trade quite dramatically and began in 1985 at Christie's Auction Room in London, when a bottle of wine, a 1787 bottle of Chateau Lafitte Bordeaux, which was said to have been owned by Thomas Jefferson, was sold for $156,000. Suspicions followed that it wasn't what it was said to have been. Two decades of inquiries and investigation followed. All sorts of colourful characters are involved. To quote from the book's jacket, Pursuing the story from Monticello to London to Zurich to Munich and beyond, Benjamin Wallace also offers a mesmerising history of wine, complete with vivid accounts of subterranean European laboratories where old vintages are dated, and of Jefferson's colourful wine-soaked days in France, where he literally drank up the culture. It reads a little bit like a thriller, as the author unpicks the history of this bottle, but there are all kinds of other snippets in it too. For example, descriptions of Thomas Jefferson's visits to the city, how he made a day trip out to a chateau, how he visited the Grand Théâtre one night, and descriptions too of what the city was like in those days. So we're talking May 1787. Here's an extract. The place was booming. White stone mansions for the ascendant class of lawyers and merchants were going up in the commercial core. Along its fringe, the city was sprouting fresh streets. Bordeaux was now among the loveliest and most prosperous of European cities. Seven years before Jefferson arrived, Europe's grandest new theatre had been erected here, a neoclassical edifice fronted by a majestic portico with twelve soaring Corinthian columns. The story of the wine bottle is unpicked detail by detail. So here, for example, what happened to the bottle shortly after it was auctioned at Christie's. Quote, the bottle's ill-starred journey had begun in late 1987, when Far Vintner's partner, Stephen Browett, flew from London to Munich. Hardy Rodenstock met him at the airport with the 1787 Margot, and Browett flew straight to Manchester, where he handed the bottle, tucked inside a tennis bag, to Tim Littler, who had agreed to buy it for £37,000. And then, a little later, this. The standard Witwam's markup was 100%, and the bottle was listed in its February 1988 catalogue at 75000 No sooner had the catalogue appeared than Littler thought, what's the point of selling the second most expensive bottle of wine in the world? The Forbes bottle had gone for £105,000. In the next Whitwam's catalogue, which came out that September, Littler upped the price of his bottle to 125000 And it's chock full too of all kinds of details about wine tasting and wine appreciation. For example, a description of something called the Wine Aroma Wheel, which was invented apparently in 1990 and gave a set of vocabulary for describing wines. Nearly a hundred words in total including, quote, pineapple, melon and banana were examples of tropical fruit flavours, which, along with citrus, berry, tree fruit and dried fruit, made up the fruity family of aromas. Wet dog, 
burnt match and skunk were examples of sulphur flavours, which, along with pungent and petroleum, form the chemical family. I have to say, I found it all absolutely fascinating. And fourthly, what about this one? The Complete Bordeaux Vintage Guide, 1870 to 2020, by Neil Martin. So it goes through year by year, 150 years of vintages, assesses the wine from that year, and gives interesting social and historical context to go along with it. Names events and milestones from each year, for example. On the Amazon review, I noted that these cultural phenomena ranged from Sherlock Holmes through Casablanca to Beyoncé. And in a review of the book by Victoria Moore, who's the Daily Telegraph's wine correspondent, and therefore definitely knows what she's talking about, there's a reference to what the author wrote about the 1945 vintage. And she quotes a little extract which illustrates how the quality of the wine and the history of the period are all intertwined and explained in the book. As it happened, 1945 was a vintage year for Bordeaux wine, and an elderly lady who was a chateau proprietor at the time described this wonderful drink as follows. It burst like sunlight after years of fear and privation. During the war, most of the Bordeaux region was occupied. Many chateaux were requisitioned by German troops and food was scarce. This outstanding 1945 vintage then was a gift from God. And finally, a book called The Bordeaux Club by Neil McKendrick, subtitle The Convivial Adventures of Twelve Friends and the World's Finest Wine. It's a description of a wine club which met for 70 years, the purpose being to try some of the greatest vintages of Bordeaux wine, all with meals. Meetings were held, minutes were taken, written up in this book, all about the vintages themselves and the historical and social context in which they were produced. There's a foreword to the book by Andrew Roberts, the historian, best-selling author, and I believe member of the House of Lords. I think maybe he was a member of the club too. And so it's just a very interesting sideways look at Bordeaux and its context, as well as just quite simply the pleasure it can bring. So there we have it then, five rather quirky reading ideas for pursuing the investigation of Bordeaux in all its many aspects. I hope I've left you with lots and lots of ideas for finding out more, for doing your own research, preferably on the ground in Bordeaux and environ. Don't forget, the main points of this will all be written up in a blog post on the website, www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk forward slash Bordeaux in this case, where you'll find not just this post, but the previous five covering other aspects of the city, Roman times, a stroll around the city centre and past the main monuments, etc. And that brings me nicely to the next episode due, City Breaks Bordeaux, episode 7, which I'm going to call Art in Bordeaux. Do a little tour of several galleries, have a look at one particular artist who actually came from Bordeaux and became quite famous. A female artist, in fact, becoming increasingly famous, I think we could say, as people are starting to wonder about the women who were painting alongside all the men who became so very famous. So I hope you'll be able to join me for that. Normally I'd end the episode by saying thank you and goodbye in French. Merci et au revoir. But I think on this occasion, we can also add a little toast. So, santé. <laughs>